Hey everybody, welcome back to the Evoke Bike Podcast. Today we have Joe Laverick from Action Pro Cycling on. He's a man wise beyond his years. We talk about everything from resting properly to fueling properly to close calls and races. Carbs came up, which you know I love. Volume of training, polarization, a lot of different things. And no matter where you're at in your training and racing journey, there are definitely some gems that he has dropped that you can apply to your own training in order to get faster. Joe, thanks for doing this. We really appreciate it. For those of you listening on iTunes or Spotify, we'd greatly appreciate a five-star review if you think we've earned it. And also check out the YouTube channel, and we have a bunch of training blogs for free on the evoke.bike website. So Joe, thank you again for doing this. Hope you guys all enjoy the conversation. So welcome to the Evoke Bike Podcast, where we interview ripping pros like Joe. And rather than me introduce you, I'd love for you to introduce yourself. Who is Joe Laverick? Um, well, I'm Joe Laverick. I'm 21 years old. Uh, just turned 21. I live in Girona. I'm from a small town in northeast England, and I ride for Harvins Berlin Action. Awesome. I was actually just west of your hometown years ago. I was in Manchester for three weeks, so I got to do some riding in the High Peaks district and kind of found some good routes out of Manchester. I found some scary ones when I didn't know where the hell I was riding and I was on some <laughs> roads that you should not be riding a bicycle on. But uh, yeah, it's a, it was a great time over there. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's, I'd say I'm a few hours east of Manchester, but okay. um, where I'm from, it's uh, where from, I'm from the farming county. Um, so the roads are endless, but they're not too exciting. Just lots of little tracks between fields. Better than a big city for riding, like you had mentioned on the Action website, like you like London, but just obviously horrible for riding a bike. Exactly. I, I love London, but yeah, I I could not train that. Yeah. So walk us through kind of your cycling origin story, maybe from like you first getting on the bike to you at Action right now. How What's sort of the progression then? So I started racing when I was 20. Well, I let's start at the very beginning. Um, first road bike 2014 um i played football stroke soccer um until then and i carried on playing i'm gonna call it football um until i was 16 so i combined the two early on um and i didn't really start seriously road racing until 2016 17 which is for me was last year youth first year junior um and then Nobody in the Laverick family rides a bike. It was just kind of a chance stroke, probably some influence from like Team Sky stroke, the London Olympics, um, I guess. I honestly, I couldn't tell you. Um, then raced not too successfully. Um, when I, well, when I was a first year junior, I was pretty awful actually. Um, I won some like local TTs and stuff like that, but nothing too exciting. And it was when I was a second year junior where it all started taking off. Um, won a few UCIs in Europe, um, race worlds, and then signed for what? Well, the now defunct Madison Genesis in the UK, a Conti team there. Um, so I did a year there, mixing it while I was in full time education because it was my final year of like the studies in the UK, my A levels. Um, then Madison folded, 
So I moved across to France to the Agile de Zelle Mondial Diva squad. Um, was there in 2020, so COVID, well, <laughs> COVID year. Every year has been COVID year since 2020. Yeah. But the, the first COVID year, um, and yeah, it was it was okay. It didn't really suit me personally, just didn't suit my culturally really that team didn't suit me and then I got the call from Axel pretty late on actually October October 2020 um the team was if I don't know if you remember the team was kind of in limbo at that point didn't have a budget was I wouldn't say we were scrounging around for riders but um said they needed new riders my name came up Axel called me um so raced with action on the road for 2021 and well, a bit of a shocker over the year with injury, but then re-signed for 22. So yeah, I'm with final year U23 this year. Um, I'm with action. So yes, I want to say it's a make or break, but it's a pretty important year. Yeah. That's, and it was an injury to your knee. Is that correct? Yeah. I, um, I messed my knee up pretty badly in Volta Algarve at the start of this year. Um, I fractured, I can't remember what exactly, but I fractured something and did ligament damage. So it's kind of a, double whammy and it was misdiagnosed at first so we were convinced it would only be two or three days um just once the swelling went down two or three months later uh, i'd only just healed so i was looking through some of your old instagram photos just kind of learning more about you and you had one picture where it was huge smile at a cafe and it was like no knee pain coffee whatever and i can relate to i think any cyclist has been in the game for a long time and has overcome an injury like that of that duration. You, I knew what you were feeling like. It, it just injuries suck, especially when they go on for that long. It's just like, man, trying to just ride. Uh, so you look super happy. I was like, man, that's good to see you back on the bike and rolling. Yeah, at that point as well, I'd been off for a long time. So I've been riding around in Girona for probably close to a month, misdiagnosed, just hoping it had healed. Couldn't put any weight on it. I was riding like 80, 90 watts, which is literally nothing. Yeah. I went back to the UK to see a specialist and then it was kind of properly diagnosed. And even from then it was it was too far on for them to like to do surgery. So it was at the point it had to naturally heal. And then I remember one day I went on the local group ride, just felt perfect. Like it was just literally one day. Wow. And then been back to normal ever since. That's awesome. Well, hoping you have a healthy 2022. A lot of people will be rooting for you. That's for sure. Um, how do you describe yourself as a racer? What do you, you know, what's your, what kind of races do you love doing and that you think you're, you know, you're a young dude that you're really trying to aim for? Well, if you'd have asked me that question a couple of years ago, I'd have said a time trialist. Like, all my nose for wins come in time trials, but I'm also, I'm, well, First, I'm no longer a time trialist. Um, I'm conscious I can do a good TT, but it's not my speciality. I'm also not a climber. I'm kind of like in that weird in-betweeny bit, kind of almost a breakaway dude or someone where it gets like short and punchy, kind of the Ardennes suits me quite nicely. Um, but also, as you say, I'm only, say I'm, I'm a fourth year, U23, but equally, I haven't raced that much, so... Last year, I had like 15 race days. The year before, maybe 10 or 12. So I'm still very much finding where I am because the last few years have been so interrupted with both injury and COVID. I haven't really found what rider I am. And also, I think guys put themselves in boxes quite a lot. It's like, for example, Marcel Kittel was U23 
time trial champion, world time trial champion, and then he was one of the best sprinters ever. So just because you're one thing at E23 doesn't mean that's who you're going to be. Mm-hmm. That's a really good mindset. I mean, that's life too. It's like if I look back five years ago and could think of like try and predict what I'm doing in five years, it's just so different. And yeah, especially when you're still maturing and just getting better and better and better. Um, what do you think, how many race days would you look for in 2022? Assuming everything's back to normal, let's hope things are back on schedule. What would be a normal schedule for you? Um, honestly, I'm not too sure. I'd be happy with 40. Mm-hmm. Like that, that, that's kind of low actually for, for a normal pro, but just considering what I've had, 40 would be nice. Um, but yeah, who knows? Our, we've got our team calendar, but not our individual calendars. And we're all over Europe, actually. Um, mixture of nice stage races and one days. So, yeah, we'll, we'll have to. We're on training camp in two, two or three weeks' time. So I'll have to see my personal calendar. But um, yeah, I want to get a fair few stage races under my belt, which also, if you do stage races, automatically you do more race days. Mm-hmm. Very true. Well, speaking about training calendars, let's talk about training a little bit. Really open ended question. What do you think is the most important aspect of your training? Um, I always say this is flipping it on its head, resting, um, knowing when to chill out. Um, anyone can ride six hours. Anybody can ride seven hours. Anybody can do an extra set, but it, I think it actually takes a braver man strike, a braver cyclist to go hang about. I need to step back to step forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something my coach and I have so, for example, recently, um, so Boxing Day, the 27th and 28th of December, I was in a big three-day block. It's meant to be a four-day block. Um, it's three days in pouring rain, literally free- freezing temperatures. And the next day, I was used to do five hours. And I spoke to my coach, and I was like, I'm dead, like really tired. The, the weather has just killed me as well, the training. And he was like, just take tomorrow off. Like, mm-hmm. I could have ridden the extra five hours, but then would I have gotten sick? I mean, that's a rhetorical question. I don't know, but I'd rather lose a day of training than get sick. Um, and I think I've matured to that fact. It's like there is a time and a place. For example, two days ago, I had four hours and I did five hours. But also there's a time when you've got to learn your body. Mm-hmm. And it's important. Resting is training, if that makes sense. I love that. No one's ever said it like that. But resting is training. Resting is so important. It's uh the way my coach had put it was, you know, once you start feeling good, that's when you want to do just that little bit more. And you want to add on just, like you said, you don't have to do the extra set. You want to do a little bit more. And that's, you know, it's better to do a little bit less than start doing a little bit too much all the time. So resting is training. I like that. I'm going to keep that in the back of my mind. Besides the resting then, is there any, well, that would be a big thing, I guess. What do you, are there any small things that you think has a big impact on your training? Um, I, I suppose this isn't small, but fueling is the most important thing. Um, I'm, I'm not the best for it. Um, but I, I know when I fuel the ride correctly, I fly. Um, and when I miss fuel, I don't, I don't just miss, miss fuel for that one session. It's kind of the kickback on the day after and the day after. Mm. Uh, and again, it's similar. It's as cyclists, we have in our heads that we've got to eat less and eat less and eat less because we've got to get skinny and it's like 
yeah, to a degree, you've got to be under control of your calories and things like that. But I'd rather have excess energy for the next day than not be able to complete the session. Um, mm-hmm. It's all within fine margins, obviously. But um, say nutrition isn't a small thing, but it's uh, say that's very important. Apart from that, say training in my head is relatively simple. Um, you you complete the efforts to the best of your ability every time, and then you rest. Like and just do every ride to the best of your ability. So again, yesterday I was on the TT bike, four by twelve at threshold. The first two I was flying, the second two I just couldn't get the power out. Um, I almost threw my toys out the pram and went home, but I was like, let's just get these done to RPE, so rate of perceived exertion. Mm-hmm. Go home. I was like 20 watts down for the last two sessions, uh, the last two intervals, but got them done, went home, coach was happy. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think perspective is kind of quite important. That's really, yeah, it's a really good one. What do you, getting a little bit more granular on fueling and nutrition, do you then map out things based on the type of ride you're doing? Are you big into carbo loading? What kind of, you know, big topics that a lot of cyclists talk about nutrition would you chime in on there? Um, I'm a Sam big believer when I do it correctly. Um, if you fuel wealth on the bike, so you can't eat too, actually, I don't think you physically can eat too much on a bike. Like once you start doing over three hours or even over two hours, really, um, kind of I, this isn't science or factually correct, but eating on the bike almost doesn't count as calories in a day in my head. Um, I know for a fact, if I get back at the end of a ride and I'm hungry, then I've fueled the ride completely wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like a good mental note because I'm walking back in the front door. Am I hungry? Yes or no? If the answer is yes, then I won't underfuel the ride. Um, and then it's just the basic things. It's like knowing X amount of grams of carb per hour per, well, it changes obviously endurance ride or interval ride um, and trying to stick to that relatively religiously, eating every 20 minutes or so, little things like that and just getting in good habits also pays dividends come race day. What, that, that's a really good point too because then when it's a habit, you're not have to, having to think about it when you're trying to race and like your brain's in race brain not you know, it's obviously much different than an endurance ride when you can be like, oh yeah, I should eat now. What's on a hard day on the bike, hard intervals, maybe those four by twelves, you know, you're just going like there's a, you know, whatever it might be, you're going to be really hammering. What gram, you'd mentioned grams. What are you trying to target per hour? Um, it's personally at least 90. Cool. Um, but more if you're feeling it, you're just, like you said, just eat it on the bike. Yeah. I think if you can get your gut to the more the more carbs you can get your gut to uh to be able to survive with like mm-hmm. without kind of internal stomach problems like it's just fuel at the end of the day or it's yeah. like like for me personally anyway um but that's all gels and mix like i if i'm doing a session like that we're not getting involved with solids because well yeah. i just be eating solids when i'm thrashing myself on the tt bike <laughs> i love it man What's then um, training, talking about volume and intensity? Are you and your coach like a big volume guy? Are you big into intervals? What's kind of your training diet like? And it obviously would change throughout the year, but maybe just a 30,000-foot overview. Um, I'm a volume guy, and I'm very much a polarized guy. I'm either riding low zone 2 or I'm riding threshold plus. Um, to a degree, my coach 
I don't want to say doesn't at all believe in zone three, stroke tempo. I mean, naturally, living in drone, you're going to be touching zone three on some of the climbs just to get some of them. But I, I have one like I have a lot of different training sessions, and there's one session I can think of which is two hours at the top of um, LC one, which is kind of like high high end zone two, low end zone three ish. Apart from that, I don't do any tempo sessions whatsoever or any zone three sessions. Um, and it's kind of I do a lot of volume, um, and it it works for me. It's like say either riding easy or riding really hard it can mean that well it can mean that if you're not going well it becomes really difficult to do because those interval sessions are always hard um say four by 12 at threshold or i think of what day is it today today's wednesday mm-hmm. tomorrow i've got six hours so thursday six hours then friday it's five by five five minute five sets of five minutes at zone five um so that's just horrible. So if I'm feeling bad, that session is disgraceful. Um, I call zone three intervals morale intervals because it's rare that you're going bad in zone three. Um, and the lack of those morale intervals for me, it can mean mentally sometimes it's a bit of a struggle, but equally, say I I go well off polarization. So it's not, yeah. Cool. It's individual, isn't it, of course. Those five by fives on day three, <laughs> I'm like, man, I'm glad I'm not doing that. They're horrible. They're actually horrible. We're wishing you luck, Joe. We're wishing you luck. Yeah. What? Um. So, so having a coach, I know obviously all cyclists don't have coaches. What do you find the most beneficial thing about working with somebody to help you through with your training and racing? Um, it's a mixture of things, to be honest. Um, I, I, a coach isn't just do X and Y to get Z in training. Like a coach has to be like your psychologist, your friend, your parent, like everything. Um, I have so much respect for top level coaches. Um, but I think the best thing with, with my coach or like our relationship is he keeps me honest. Um, Cause he's actually brutally on, like harshly honest sometimes. Um, but it's what I need. And just being able to have someone to like throw ideas at or little things like that. Um, but yeah, personally, I, I, the main thing I like about working with a coach is that having someone to keep you honest and having someone to be thoroughly honest with you, mm. like on both sides. That's awesome. So you had made a comment. It was actually a really interesting short blog on your website about you being a continental pro. You don't really look at it as being pro pro. You're like, I'm grinding to become pro Conti world tour. That's pro to you. What do you think's kind of, uh, what do you think you need to improve on the most to get to that next level? Or maybe what's like a limiter that you're really trying to work on for this season that you feel like sharing on the internet? Races. <laughs> I need to win bike races. It's that simple. <laughs> um, no, there's, with racing, there's so many things. Um I mean, there's the physical elements, then there's the actual racing, like racecraft element, which I think gets overlooked too much, especially now. People think if you can just bang X amount of watts per kilo for 20 minutes that you're going to wear everything. That's not true. Like, go race in Belgium. You can have the best numbers in the world. If you don't know how to position yourself, you're just screwed. Um, So I think for myself, like action next year, we have a nice mix of 
races we can perform in and win and races where we are just going to get our asses handed to us. Whereas in 21, we I did a lot of like point ones and point pros, which it was that time of year where it was around worlds and a lot of I remember doing one point like there was there was a UCI one point one we did and Quick Step had Alaphilippe, um, Remco Van Holt and Castor Asgreen all on the start line. And I was like, this isn't a one point one. This is literally a world tour race. Um so yeah, we're doing races where we can actually win and hopefully well, definitely that will make a difference. But for me, it's consistency, keeping healthy, start keeping fit, and confidence. Um, because I know physically, I'm not a like a phenomenon, um, but I'm good. Like, but my confidence, I need to, I need to get countless race days to gain my confidence. Um, and yeah, I think if I can kind of have a nice flow of racing, that hopefully that should lead to results. Um, but we shall see. Yeah. What's, what's the mindset or what do you guys talk about as a team when you're going to these races, when you're saying, Hey, this is a race where we're going to get our asses handed to, how do the goals shift when it's like, okay, sure. It'd be great if somebody gets in a break and maybe we pull off a, something crazy happens, but you're saying it just like that, that would be crazy if we won this race. What are more expectations in those races finish, you know, top 10. How do you guys look at that? I think that's one thing that a lot of amateurs struggle with when, they go to a race when like the local hitters are there. And this is something we all, it's no matter what level you're at, you're like, Oh God, those guys are here. How do you guys frame that perspective? Um, because I think a lot of us look at you guys and we kind of forget that even you guys are looking down the road of like, damn, those guys are here. What's the mindset for that? Um, well, I think firstly, the mindset is not, this has really bad, not to give the guys respect. Like not to give the world guys respect because the second you think, oh crap, that's Julian Alaphilippe, like it's over. he is over. I mean, it's over anyway. He's better than everyone. <laughs> world like that man is uh, is the most incredible bike rider in the world. He's skilled. He's like everything. Like you, you know, he's better than you. Like fact of life. I don't care what people say about manifest whatever. He's better than most people in the world. Um, but you can't be looking at them and thinking, oh, crap, that's Alaphilippe. You've got to just think of them. He's got a number on. I'm racing him. Um, Targets-wise, we went into a lot of races, not a lot of races, but we went into some races this year where we knew we weren't going to win them. Like, even if the craziest thing happened, we probably weren't going to win them because when you've got half the Peloton of World Tour teams, the other, I don't know, this is bad fractions, the other quarter are pro conti teams and the final quarter are um, conti teams. It's like we're literally like the lowest level. Um, but the mindset is firstly get in the break because the big boys usually let those guys in the break. If that doesn't work, try and do something. Like It doesn't matter what it is, just do something. Because otherwise, um, RDS, Coach uh, Murenhout, he's legend, like very good DS. Um, works with the Dutch national team and he says boys if you just sit in the peloton you're waiting to get dropped in these races like it, it's a fact at some point they're going to go and you're going to get dropped so do something um, equally don't be an idiot <laughs> but there's, there's like again there's a fine line um, but don't just sit there and wait to get dropped put yourself in a position where when the break goes you can try and bridge with it or something like that 
because um, if you're just sitting 60, 70th wheel feeling sorry for yourself, that's going to be a long day. I like that. It's being more proactive rather than just, you know, trying to react to something that you can't fight, just stronger people. It's a good, I like that outlook. Um, have you ever in training, maybe before you had a coach or when you were first really getting going or even just trying to push the limit, ever trained too much or felt like you were doing it the wrong way? And how did you correct that course if that ever happened to you? Um, I probably have. Um, in fact, something just comes to mind. Yes. So when I was racing for Madison Genesis in 2019, um, I was doing my A-levels, which for non-English listeners, um, in the UK, you're at secondary school from age 12 to 16. You do your exams. And then before university, you go somewhere else for two years. We call it college or sixth form. And you have to do that until you're 18. Um, because of how my birthday falls, long story short, I was still in school while I was first year U23. Okay. Anyway, um, so there was a point where I was trying to bounce my A-levels, which are recognized as like some of the hardest exams in the uk like they're quite yeah they are very hard um so i was doing my a levels in full-time education while trying to race for gas for national tt champs um i just come off the back of top 10 at junior worlds like probably one of the best if not the best not one of the best um time trialists in the world as a as a junior so i was going into u23 national thinking i'm the big man like probably won't win it, but I'll podium. Um, long story short, I try. I studied too hard, I trained too hard, and I burnt the candle at both ends. And what followed, it hurts me to even talk about it now, is the worst performance of my life. Mm. Um, yeah, I got like this. Literally hurts me now. Three years later, to say uh, I was twenty first at TT Nats, which is just pure embarrassing, um, and that was a result of burning the candle at both ends. Um, and that was where I had a coach then. But I just, I was kind of lying to him. I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. Um, and we stripped my training right down. I was doing like eight to 10 hours a week, but I just, the stress got to me eventually. Um, so that's the biggest training mistake I've ever made. What do you think? It, sorry, I am just have some questions not to make you talk about something that sucks, but I think there's a lot of like gems in there for other people. Like, what do you think was making you maybe be dishonest about, were you just thinking more is better or like, did you know, if, your coach might not have known exactly everything that was going on. Or were you just trying to, what do you think happened there? I think I was just kidding myself. Cause as I said, I wasn't doing that many training hours. Yeah. Um, like I, my week of my exams, I did eight hours. Like, I remember it. Um, but I was just kidding myself that I'd be able to do both. I was mm. like studying. You're just sitting inside reading a book. Like mm. do it. But that's basically what studying is. And then like, I'm not using any energy, but like you are using mental energy totally. uh, it creates fatigue and then trying to train on top of that. Um, and I think it is probably less a training mistake and more of a mismanaging stress, but equally that is that that all plays into the picture. Mm -hmm. uh, and I also put too much pressure on myself, which is another thing, which isn't exact like training exactly pedaling, but I wasn't as honest with my coach about that. Um, I was way too confident. Um, but also I just, um, well, I, I can't think of the word. I just, I basically cracked before I started. So I remember I did a club time trial, just like a local time trial two weeks before nationals. 
similar parkour to nationals, similar distance, similar like everything. And I was, I was 25 watts up on the day of nationals and I've been at school all day. So I've been at school like nine till three, nine till four, and then done this club 10 in the evening. Um, and I was miles better than the day of nationals. And there's kind oh. of something. Um, but yeah, mismanaging stress was what got me there. Well, it sounds like you learned a lot of things from that. I mean, hopefully that can help you moving forward. And again, man, you're only 21. So a lot of great years ahead and, you know, you won't make that mistake again. I'm 21 and I haven't won the Tour de France. Like, (laughs) Still still got some time. Still got some time. What, um, are you into cross training or lifting at all during the season or outside of race season? Um, so outside of race season, I do probably one strength session. So one gym session with weights and one home gym session, sometimes two gym sessions, like in the gym, um, always two just ran, like strength core SC sessions out of season. And then I've been speaking to my coach and starting this season for the first this is me going off the top of my head because it hasn't happened yet. I think for the first eight weeks of the season, he wants me to continue with one session in the gym a week, but not as high in like intensity or weight. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't remember exactly why. I think he'd seen some research or something to show that it will be beneficial. Um, but yeah, basically, gym is good. Like last last winter, we were in lockdown in the UK and I barely did any gym whatsoever, um, apart from home gym. But if you're just doing home gym sessions with body weight, like it's not pointless, but it's not going to give you the same training benefits as going to an actual gym and lifting. Um, but also, I'm not like a I'm not like a gym lad. I'm not a proper lifter. I just do an average, respectable amount. I'm not one of these guys who's doing a ridiculous amount of kgs. So, yeah, middle ground. I think that's smart though. I mean, personally, I had definitely overdone the gym before I was talking with a guy that we actually connected through Strava. Who's more about RPE lifting. I've been using that more and it's actually felt better. Um, he, he says, don't go full bro. (laughs) So it's like way less maxing out, but like you said, more than a home gym, but you know, just not getting full throttles, you know, one rep max type thing. So Oh, you might be onto something there. It's hopefully, what do you find from the gym that translates the best to riding? Like, is it, you know, do you feel like you have another gear? Do you just feel like it keeps you injury free or what have you seen or felt like were the benefits from doing that? Um, in like for me, injury prevention has been quite a big thing. Injury prevention stroke kind of repairing what the damage I did this year. Mm. So after I had a couple of injuries this year, um, and it created a so my pen balance is pretty much 50 50 but my left and right leg aren't working perfectly so basically i've got a right leg imbalance so even though i'm pedaling in balance this is really complex so my pedal i'm pedaling at 50 50 balance but my muscles are working incorrectly in my right leg so while it's still the same as my left leg they fatigue probably three to four times quicker than in my left leg um, so it's trying to correct that balance so they don't fatigue as fast. Um, so something like that, for example, I know is helping because I can feel that when I'm climbing and especially in the TT position. Um, and also my sprint power has been getting, I am not a sprinter, like let's get out, let's 
like if I see 1200 watts, it's a half, I'm a happy man. Um, but my sprint power over 10 to 15 seconds has been improving as well. And that's, I've actually used a slightly different sprint technique, um, which a friend taught me, which has helped me out a little bit. Um, but, um, I think going to the gym is also, I did that. What is the technique? Cause that's actually, I think a lot to, for amateurs that don't sprint often, it's just getting used to sprinting. What were, what were the pearls from that? Um, it was really basic actually. So it was starting a, um, in an easier gear so you can spin up quicker. And so otherwise you're overgearing slower acceleration, mm-hmm. squeeze the handlebars really, really hard, like white knuckle the handlebars mm-hmm. and then try to tense your core. Um, or just try to tense your whole, yeah, your core start the middle of your body, um, before you start the sprint. And for me, I found like that's oh, apologies. Um, I found that's had a massive impact on my sprint. Um, Interesting. Like we're talking probably I've gone from not being able to hold or touch high peak powers regularly to consistently being able to touch the my peak powers just through changing a really simple technique. And it was a friend of mine here in Girona who's been in the world tour for a decade who taught me it. Um, and it takes a lot of thought power. Um, but then again, it's just doing it regularly. So it becomes like slowly, slowly, slowly works into your subconscious. I think that neuromuscular connection, when it like clicks, it's something different. And it actually, it's funny you said I had a training buddy and he was just a much better sprinter. And when we started actually riding together and I was watching him sprint and I'm like, I'm not going that hard and kind of was breaking down what you're saying. I'm like, man, I'm not, he was cranking on the bike and I was not doing that. And it was, I've often told people like, just go, who do you know that sprints well, or people that are really bad at like 30 second or one minute efforts. Like go watch someone who knows how to go really freaking deep. And when you see that, a lot of times it's looking in the mirror saying, I'm definitely not doing that. And so that's interesting to hear you say that just and making those neuromuscular connections and being able to repeat it over and over again. That's cool. And I'm, I'm especially looking at one of my friends here, say he's been in the world tour or was in the world tour for a decade. And he's also very kind of clued onto like physiology and muscular connections. So he'll just look at me, right? And he's like, sure, stop, do this. You'll be better. Um, and yeah, he's really helped me out just in really minute details, but they're making big differences. What are some of those things if you don't mind sharing? Or things um, he's noticed about you that he's helped correct? Sprinting one was the big one. And another one for me was my hand position on the tops. So I'd also ride with my hands really close to the stem. Um, and by wide, widening my grip, um, so slightly further out on the tops, I was creating like a more stable, I do create a more stable unit. So therefore I don't rock as much, waste as much energy. And that's just literally moving my hands maybe two to three centimeters further out. And I'm just stable there now. And he told me that, I can't remember when actually, a few months ago. Um, and it's, it's worth its way into my training now. And every time I look down, if the, my hands are in their old position, I go like, I, like give myself a mental telling off. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. That's awesome. What's so shifting a little bit just to racing and kind of like your ambitions and looking back on some things, what are the results that you're most proud of up till today? 
I'm, I think I think forever, actually, it doesn't matter what I do in the sport, one of my most proud results ever will be um, my Junior Worlds result, just because it was my first time wearing the GB jersey, mm. um, which how the GB system works, especially in juniors. If you're not on the academy, it's unlikely that you're going to get selected for uh, World Championships. So I was, I, I probably was the best British, I was actually, not probably, I was the best British time trialist that year. Um, so to act, but just to get selected was the big one. And I, you'll never forget the first time you represent your country. Um, and then the top 10 of Worlds isn't bad at all. Um, it's like I've won races in, I don't know, three, four, five different countries. Um, and they're all equally as good. Like a win's a win at the end of the day. That's the thing about winning. Your like your body doesn't know if you're winning just your local chipper race or UCI. The feeling's pretty much the same. Um, but yeah, I remember that day at Worlds. It was it was kind of the feeling that the every I'd nailed the process. Everything was perfect. Um, I didn't know what to expect from the result, um, but that just to be there and do that, I was like, this is great. Um, and yeah, say there's been other TTs which I've won and been good at. But I think forever that result, I suppose it was not even a result, it's like a top 10. Um, but just like that day as well, I've got very, very fond memories of it. So that, that day of the journey of wherever you go, that's a really cool and I like that. What do you have as your biggest goal race? Um, well, we don't actually know our personal calendars this year yet. Um, we're going on camp in two weeks. Um, so don't even, maybe not even a race, sorry to cut you off, maybe not even a race that you're going to get to do this year, but if you are dreaming, maybe it's in five years, what's, what's the one that you're like, that is where I want to be? Worlds, again, no. the, nothing, I don't think anything compares to Worlds. Um, well, things do compare to it, but it's the fact that it's a one-day race. Mm-hmm. You get to wear the bands for a year and you're representing your country, which is rare that you get to do in cycling. Um, I mean, and also in the men's pro peloton, if you're doing world championships, especially the Brits, it's more than likely that you're already towards the upper echelons of the world tour. So you're doing the grand tours, you're doing the classics. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, the Tour de France, like everybody says it, it's the tour. It's the bloody mm-hmm. tour. Everybody wants to do it. But Worlds, uh, yeah, it's nothing beats Worlds. Like, I don't know. Never, never has for me in my head. I would agree wholeheartedly. It's just incredible race. It it's so long. It's just, I mean, I know a lot of people like the classics, but it just, uh, I think the Jersey too, it something carries on from that for the whole next year. And it's just, yeah, then you are the top dog for, uh, yeah, it's just un- unbeatable in my mind. Um, any any other favorite race memory aside from Worlds or anything that you look back on or maybe, um, yeah, anything that sticks out? It's like, man, that was an amazing race. And maybe when you're looking forward to going back to doing, aside from whichever races you have assigned to you. I'm trying to think because there's a lot of, I think what, what a lot of people don't realize is once you're in a bike race, like they're all kind of the same. Like, yeah, they're different parkour, but you're racing similar guys, the same guys a lot of the time. Um, it's just, like, A to B as fast as you can. Like, what what stands out to me more um, is kind of 
So when, if I think, oh, that was a great race, it's often something which didn't happen inside the 180K, but happened with the boys at the dinner table or en route to the airport. Or So, like, don't get me wrong, I love bike racing. Um, but the actual thing of the bike race, like those five hours, they just all blend into one eventually. Mm-hmm. And the things you usually remember are the times away from um, from the race. So I remember Volta Algarve 20... So 2021, last year with action, like um, stage one, boring sprint stage, stage two, I was in the break all day, um, which was pretty cool. Stage three, I broke my knee. Um, so it was like a bit of a roller coaster of emotions. But then what I also remember is the day before the first stage, we went on this really cool like activation ride, but it was riding like up in these Portuguese hills and it was like being in South America. Um, and it's things like that, which for me stand out more than, like, I mean, I also think in a race, if you put a normal person in a race, they'd be like, crap, there's so many close calls. Whereas we just become kind of dumb to all those close calls. Um, and yeah, I'd say there's some races where I'm thinking now there was one, I was racing in Belgium, we won a team time trial. And winning as a team, yeah, don't get wrong, special. Like, it's great. Um, but often for me, the things that stand out most, as I said, are the things to do with bike racing, but not the actual racing kilometers themselves. Cool. What do you, when you talk about these close calls, there was uh, Phil Guyman wrote in one of his books that I forget where he was descending, what race. And he was just like, man, people are freaking ripping here. And I forget who he looked over to. And they're like, how you doing? He's like, this is fucking fast. And they're like, welcome to the world tour. And just like, it went screaming on when, I mean, when how long does that take to sort of just adjust to i mean we watch as amateurs you know now people post things in gopro and what and whatnot and maybe we get to race connie pros in the u.s here but when did that sort of race brain of just it became more normal how long does that take to sort of set in do you think or is it like a season is it always evolving how do you view that i think that's interesting that you brought that up I think it really depends. So I remember coming back after my injury this year, my race brain, I was racing well, but my confidence in the bunch wasn't high. That's because I'd broken my knee a few months before. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it gets to a point, I'm very, I'm a very safe trainer. I take zero risk when training. Because um, I think if you crash in training, you're just an idiot. Um, but if you crash in training, you're just too fast. Um, that is. Whereas... I think racing you've almost just got to you've got to click something up in your mind and it's like i'm gonna do some crazy shit now i might crash oh well mm-hmm. like if you crash you crash if, if you start thinking what like the consequences of it you may as well retire um because i remember my first race of the year actually um was going down this bloody steep hill in portugal i actually lost my bottle on the descent and i was going backwards and i'm usually a decent descender but i just didn't have my brain in gear that day and it was this crazy, crazy descent through this Portuguese town. Then it's just 10% for like two or three K. And I was off the back because I hadn't descended well enough. Um, and yeah, you just got to click in your head like, ah, if I crash, I crash. Like, <laughs> um, and then there's something. So there's also like, say, there's so you see so many crashes in a race. Like, I don't know the average amount of crashes per UCI race. I'd actually love to see the data on it. Um, but you just look at them and it's like, oh, Thank, thankfully it wasn't me this time like unlucky boys yeah. um, 
and it's like those close calls where you're like i'm going down i'm going down and then you save it it's like the, like the best moments um equally when you go down it hurts um but yeah in answer to your question uh, everyone's different i think yeah. for me first couple of races of the year everybody's nervous anyway so it takes a bit of time to get into it then if you're on a stage race you just get used to doing crazy shit it's like yeah. we there was a pro here in the u.s and his biggest thing was descending and i was in a race with him and he was i'm not a great descender and i do not have that ability to turn it off well and he was like behind me and i was like wow he's not kidding he really is bad at descending if he's way in the back and it was one of the biggest things that held him back held him from going to the next level um i just did well to ecuador which is super low level 1.1 and uh i think there was one pro team there and the speed bumps there we were coming into some town going 40 i'm like wow these guys aren't slowing down and it wasn't like a i don't know what speed bumps are like in the uk but the us a lot of times they're soft like you just rip over it these are more like just mounds of cement (laughs) it's like if you incorrectly hop this you're going to be endoing and possibly crashing into the like little cement ditch on the side there with donkeys and, and things on the side of the road so it was uh there was a definitely a couple times when i was in a break and off the back of the group chasing back on because i slowed down too much it was like and i was giving myself the pep talk i'm like dude you need to not hit the brakes like this is a problem so what's uh you talked about an activation ride what do you do you have any like pre-race rituals or maybe not rituals things that you do that make you feel ready for the next day maybe it's depending on like your guys travel schedule to get to a race and if it's a big race maybe what are you doing the week before to just stay sharp probably do you reduce your training at all the week before a big race how does that work for you um, so kind of the basics, training reduces, um, carbohydrate in, uh, intake increases, um, try to research the race. So we, um, at Action, we have access to a Velo Viewer, which gives all the details and Google Street View of the course. Trying to research, especially in the bigger races. So for example, in Algarve, when my job was to get into the break, it's like go on Google Street View, research the first 10K where the break's going to go look where there's a narrow road look where there's a roundabout where the teams could block it off etc so stuff like that um away from that it's i again i I quite like to switch off um so like the the four nationals this year we had um, a friend of mine came over to dinner like still eating like just bog standard chicken and rice but he came over for dinner and then we just didn't really speak about bike racing all night or when you're in a team environment, just like chatting crap to your teammates. Um, so I think a lot of teams like to do the pre-race briefing the night before, whereas personally, I'm a fan of doing it on the camper just before the race. Um, because while like, obviously I, I like to prepare and focus the race. I don't like too much information the night before. I like to be able to chill out as well. Um, so yeah, for me, it's kind of a balancing act of, if I've done everything in advance of the preparation, I'd then like to switch off the night before. Um, it's like, I know I've got a bike race tomorrow, but everything's already sorted. I know what to do. I know what time it starts, my bike's sorted, etc. Like chill, read a book, watch Netflix, like chat around to my teammate. Um, and that keeps, well, as much as you can, that kind of keeps me, keeps my, in a weird way, it keeps my head in it, but I keep my head out of it. Oh, I like that. 
little mental freshness as well as physical freshness ready to go. What's nutrition wise, you know, you had mentioned the fueling is a huge, uh, important piece to training. What do you think of, so fueling is obviously important when you're recovering. Is there anything that you're, are you focusing on protein? Are you focusing on restoring glycogen, anything, or is, are you kind of like, uh, just eat a normal, healthy diet? How do you kind of view nutrition in the big picture of you as maybe a human more so than just a bike racer? Um, so I'm a great believer of have a have a few key points, stick to them, and don't do anything extreme either way. Um, so for example, if you eat a healthy, rounded diet, great, you don't need to have, take that many supplements. Like that's one, for example. Um, have the bar of chocolate. If your body wants, if you're craving a bar of chocolate, just bloody eat it. Like, don't like don't if you starve yourself of it it's going to come back and bite you eventually um i've had it where i've stayed off like forced myself to go cold turkey and then i just like purely cracked um obviously a moderation um protein shake i have protein shakes after every session it doesn't matter if it's a rico ride or what um like as athletes it's you can have too much protein obviously but it's hard to have too much protein um so a good thing i work with my nutritionist and if I hit five protein feeds, so five a day, basically, doesn't matter when it is. And each feed being about 25 grams of protein, somewhere in a meal, I've hit my kind of target for the day. Um, and there can be like protein shakes, meals, snacks. If I do five throughout the day, pretty much sorted. Um, and what are your favorite, feel- sorry to jump in. What are your favorite protein snacks? So aside from the shake, aside from eating like chicken or something, what are other like go-tos that you like? It, to be honest, I'm really basic. Like I'm really bad for just um, like last night, for example, I was a wee bit hungry before bed, so I just banged a protein shake. Like yeah. I didn't really care. Um, but there's there's things like um, I'm a meat eater, like always have been. Um, so I have like these crackers with cream cheese and some ham on top, maybe some nuts. Um, but yeah, oh Greek yogurt actually. I eat a lot of yogurt. I eat a lot of you. I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yogurt with apricots, like dried apricots cut into it. That's my, I don't know how I forgot about that. That's my main go-to. That's awesome. You like lit up when you thought of the yogurt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, got just a few minutes left here. What do you think equipment wise? I know a lot of riders are always curious. What are the pros riding? What's, and so you know, without running through the whole setup, maybe anything unique stand out about your setup or anything that you've changed in the past years, like people growing wider tires or, you know, maybe something about the components or anything kind of stand out to you equipment wise that people would be curious about? Um, I'm relatively standard um, on my setup. So I've got long legs, short body. Um, so I always ride a frame size slightly on the, uh, let me take this out. Slightly on the bigger side with a shorter stem, which people are like, oh, but you're a pro. You should be slamming your stem and running 140 mil. And I'm like, no, like be comfy. Like be aero, but be comfy. Um, so I have like, I think I have 25 mil of stack below my handlebars, okay. uh, which isn't masses. But a lot of guys, like even in my team, they're like, oh, your bars aren't slammed. I'm like, yeah, but I don't have back problems. So like, I don't care if it looks cool. Do you know what's not cool is being injured. Um, yeah. And then I've always run 170 mil cranks. Just I think from my time trialing days, that stuck with me. Um, 
But no, the only, I'd say the only specialist piece of equipment I use is on my time trial bike. And I have high rise, um, like elbow pads. Okay. So they're very, very, very high. So I can lean into them and they keep my shoulders narrow. That's probably the only non-standard thing which I ride with. Everything else is pretty much just a variation of what comes on the bike, like of, di- of a different size. You guys still riding tubulars or tubeless? Um, a combination, actually. It it depends. We were last year. We were in this weird uh, crossover phase of I don't know exactly what it was, but basically we had X amount of a certain tire still in the service course, and it made sense to use them. I'm actually a big fan of tubulars. Like they work well. Like they work really well, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's there's the science to show that tubeless have a lower rolling resistance. That's why a lot of TT wheels are going tubeless. But in a road race, I'm if I had a choice, I still ride tubulars. So I ride tubulars in a road race and tubeless in TT if I had the out and out choice. Yeah. If I had a mechanic, I would ride tubulars still, but I'm actually team tubes and people give me a lot of crap for that. But I'm like, I just don't like dealing with tubeless and yeah, I've never stuck a tire on a tubeless. I've never done a tubeless tire or stuck a tubeless tire on. So in training, I'm a tube man. In Just, tubes, all right. Yeah, What's exactly, man? My biggest thing is when tubeless goes wrong and you're on the side of the road. It's a pain in the ass. And I was, I was team tubeless for a little bit. And a guy said to me, "Hey, man." Is changing the tube that hard? And I was like, it, this is the future. Trust me. Da, 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 da. And I'm just, just like, I always call it goo. It's not goo. Sealants everywhere. And I was like, man. So I went back and just, yeah, I haven't looked back. Last question for you, man. This has been awesome. What do you, for the younger riders that are trying to make that next leap, trying to just get better, trying to become a Conti pro, even though you say that's not the pro pro yet, what do you, what's a piece of advice that you could pass along? Um, I think the biggest thing, which if it was 16-year-old me hearing this, would hate myself, is don't get kind of het up and don't get carried away with the minor details. Um, so when I was 16, 17, I had a mentor um, who, again, he's world tour. And I was always asking him, like, what can I do? And he could easily have said, eat X amount of carbs, sleep X amount of hours, do whatever there's a million and one things um but the best thing he did was almost keep me ignorant to a degree um because if you start doing everything too early you'll almost lower your ceiling um so honestly i I, like i see juniors now doing 20 plus hour training weeks and i'm like what do you do when you're u23 what do you do when you're world tour like there's only a certain amount of training training hours you can do a week um and it's don't try and do everything once at once the things you do do, do them well. Um, but yeah, just don't get stressed and head up on the really minor details is kind of the biggest thing, I think. I love that because I think especially nowadays with the internet, I mean, when I started training, there was no Instagram. There was definitely no Strava. You didn't know what everybody was doing. And just like you said, you focused on what you had picked up on from another rider in your club and you try to do that better. You try to like master little things along the way. Now it's just like, man, everybody's, there's just so much stuff out there. I think it would, it would be hard. It's impossible to do it all. And maybe that would send somebody more backwards than forwards. Do what you're, how do you say it? Do what you're doing, do it really well. Um, I also think stick to one school of thought. 
So, and the nutrition is the worst, actually. Nutritionists are very good at showing you something and then giving you evidence. But then I could easily go and find counteracting evidence. So you've got to stick to whatever it is. Like, I don't give a crap what you want to do. Vegan, vegetarian, meat eating. Don't actually, I don't think you should do keto. My opinion doesn't matter. Um, Whatever you do, stick to it. Like the second you start doing, taking little bits from everywhere in something like nutrition, that's when from my personal experience, it goes wrong. So I know if I stick to one school of thought and then go with that. So stick with my nutritionist. Don't take, like don't stick to the advice of five different people you've spoken to in the street. Mm. Kind of stick to one person, trust that person. It's the same with coaching, actually. If you trust your coach, then great. Don't start taking advice from every one of your riding buddies because they're not a coach. Well, it's interesting, too, because like you had said, there's similar nutrition to training. You can find one study that's now go ride sweet spot. There's another that says go ride polarized. There's one that says go ride more endurance. One says go ride more threshold. I mean, there's always a counter study and there's almost a study to represent everything that we're doing in training. And so that's one thing that irks me is like science now for endurance sports. Uh, People can easily cherry pick a headline for anything to back up anything that they want to push. And I say, you know, do your own research. And you'd made the comment before of like, I forget what we were talking about. You say, hey, this works for me. Is it working for you? Great. Keep going on that trajectory. Is it not? Okay. Pivot, look around what else is out there, make a change and then try that. But I think that's super sound advice to wrap this up. Uh, Joe, man, really appreciate you doing this. This is awesome. Really appreciate you sharing your perspective, wishing you the best of luck in this upcoming season. A lot of people will be rooting for you. And uh, yeah, man, hopefully someday we cross paths on a bike ride and can buy a coffee. And yeah, thank you so much. This was awesome. No, thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here. Best of luck. And we'll, uh, we'll catch you soon. Cheers, man. Like really appreciate that. Yeah.